It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, it's Wednesday, which means we have armchair politics coming up in about an hour for two hours of commentary and analysis uh, about local, state, and national headlines in politics and current events with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. And they'll be joined today by uh, Mark Everson, who uh, served in high-ranking government positions in uh, two presidential administrations. Um, He worked at the... uh, he headed up the IRS, and he was a high-ranking official in uh, INS as well, as well as other positions. But uh, I'm really excited about this first hour because we have uh, a very special guest joining us by phone. He became the first blind justice elected by voters statewide to the Michigan Supreme Court in November of 2014, and. Uh, of course, that, that makes him stand out a little bit, so I'm sure you know I'm talking about uh, Michigan Supreme Court Justice Richard Bernstein. And, uh, Your Honor, welcome to the show. Well, first off, please call me Richard, and I am so excited to be here. And i got to tell you, thank you so much for having me on, and 
whenever you invite me, I will always come. Well, that's that's so nice of you to say, and I've had uh, several Supreme Court justices uh, on the show over the years, and uh, but this is the first time for you, and I will gladly call you Richard, and I also want to uh, acknowledge uh, that, that this uh, conversation and our meeting is courtesy of one of my favorite Oakland County activists, Pam Gerald, who is also on the line with us. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, Tom, and good morning to one of my favorite Supreme Court justices, uh, Justice Richard Bernstein. And you know, Judge, it's going to be kind of hard for me to call you Richard. I know you like <laughs> for people to call you that, but how about if I just say Judge? Okay, I, that works for me, but I have to say, Tom, I love, I, I mean, I love Pam. Everyone loves her. She has that ability, you know, when you want to be an advocate, you have to connect with people, and she has that ability to bring out the absolute best in everyone she interacts with. You just, she just has that nature, that infectious personality that inspires folks. And I got to tell you, you can never say no to Pam. And it's great <laughs> to be with. And, you know, I have to say too, it's, it's great to be with someone who actually wants to make the world a better place, and who is dedicating herself to actually doing it. Judge, my head is so big, I'm not even going to be able to get in the room with the silver fox today. <laughs> well, let's, uh, Richard, if you don't mind, let's talk about some of your activism, because uh, before running for and, and winning your seat on the Michigan Supreme Court, um, you worked in a lot of advocacy cases, uh, many of which uh, ended up setting national standards for things, mm -hmm. um, especially in the areas uh, uh, in the area of uh, access for people with disability. And that makes me wonder how tough, uh, how much of a challenge was it for you um, to actually get your law degree I, did did the fact that you had a, a supportive family that that had some means help in your ability to um, do the things you need to do you can't just go to a law library and pull down a book absolutely that is an outstanding question and you know i think it's important to point out according to the u.s census 85 percent of the blind population is currently unemployed and I think it's important to point out that's that, a yes, staggering you know, number Richard 85 percent and the only reason that I get to serve as a judge and I had the opportunity to become a lawyer is because I did I came from a family who had the backgrounds and who had the means and who had the ability to give me the absolute best of everything and the reason that I am so passionate about the work that I do and the work that Pam does is because I realize how blessed I am. I realize how fortunate I am. If I wasn't from the family that I was from, I would be part of the 85% who was unemployed. It's just that simple. The only reason I get to do what I get to do is because I was blessed to come from the family background that I came from. So the reason that I work so hard is I really believe that if you've been given certain opportunities, but also, and I, I, I think Pam would probably agree with this, is the simple idea that the absolute best public servants are the ones who know and appreciate struggle. If you're able to live with a sense of struggle, it creates mission and focus and purpose. And I think people who know struggle, people who experience struggle, people who live with struggle, get involved with public service for the absolute right reasons 
because they believe that they're part of something bigger. They believe they're part of something grander, and they believe that they're part of something that's just bigger than themselves. Amen to that, Judge. And, you know, uh, Tom was just so uh, appropriate pointing out that you are the very first uh, blind Supreme Court justice ever elected to the bench. And people that know you, and I knew you when you became a lawyer, so we've known each other for a long time, you had a visually impaired condition uh, since birth, and it was due to a genetic disorder called retinitis pigmentosa. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. I mean, so I've always been, <clears throat> I've always been blind. And, you know, that tends to kind of shape kind of how you function and how you work and how you kind of do the things that you do. And, you know, Pam and Tom, I think some of the things that people are usually interested in are really the logistics, which is as a blind person, you know, how do you function as a judge? You know, how do you actually do the job if you're not able to see? And well, yeah, lawyers do don't file yeah. briefs in Braille. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, that's a really valid question. And, you know, what, what people, like, realize about this job is that every Wednesday at 9.30 a.m. in Lansing, Michigan, we have something called conference. And conference is where the judges come together to discuss all the cases that are before us. And there's usually about 25 cases that are on the conference agenda. And what will happen is, since I can't read and write, the commissioners will say, okay, we are now at case 18. Case 18 is a carjacking that resulted in two homicides. The reason that that's important to me is what I do is I actually memorize all the cases. I literally commit them to memory. Now, I can't commit them word for word because that's not possible. But I will know every legal element and every aspect of that case so that when they say to me, as I was saying prior, hey, this is a carjacking with two homicides. When I hear carjacking, two homicides, it will trigger the case in its entirety and that I will be able to recall all of the key legal issues that are being decided. Well, now, two, two questions. Other. Two questions come sure. to mind. There, one is absolutely Richard. Were were you uh, subtly uh, warning me that you're going to have to bail on me at nine thirty? And two, not in the slightest. No, no, no. Because we're on break. So oh, we are, I, I would tell you something. I've been looking forward to this show for a long time. I'm not going anywhere. I'm on. The, <laughs> it's funny. I'm on the west side of the state right now. I'm over in. Uh, I'm in, uh, in Saugatuck you know, on the west side, and there was uh, like a big storm that came through. And uh-huh. all I can tell you is I spent my morning looking for a cell signal because <laughs> we were having a little trouble with the cell service. And all I can tell you, Tom and Pam, is there was no way I was missing this program and no way I was missing this show, no matter how I had to run around town trying to find a signal. But I got one, so I am here for as long as you want. Because he would never disappoint us, Tom. <laughs> no, <laughs> never. Richard. Even if the cell tower is down, I am still not going to miss this show. <laughs> well, Richard, and I, and I appreciate that, but the, um, the other question was, how are you able to familiarize yourself with cases the yes. way you just outlined? Yes. So what happens is I get one additional clerk. So instead of getting five clerks, I get six clerks. I have one additional clerk. And what I do with my clerks is literally we spend 10, 12 hours a day 
internalizing all the material. We just memorize it and we internalize all of the material. And so what will happen is, is, is that when I get the mental trigger, like when they give me kind of the, what they'll do is they'll give me kind of a case summary. They'll give you the facts of the case. And when I hear the facts of the case, that will trigger the case in its entirety. And I can discuss all the legal components of that case. But there's still one other challenge that kind of arises out of this. We're a common law system. And so due to the fact that we're common law, I don't just simply have to know the case that I'm voting on. Like, I don't just simply have to know the case that's in front of the court where I'm determining, you know, whether that person deserves a new trial or not. I have to know all of the common law cases that are relevant. Mm -hmm. So in every scenario, you're going to have cases that work for you and you're going to have cases that work against you. You can't just simply say, oh, I believe this person deserves a new trial. You have to put an argument together for your colleagues as to why you might think that this person deserves a new trial. So what I have to do is basically say, okay, you know, in case XYZ, the court held this. In case ABC, the court held this. So I have to be able to use all the cases that work for me, and then I have to be able to distinguish all the cases that work against me in order to make the argument to basically get the votes that I need in order to secure the court to move in, a, in whatever direction it's going to move in. And how much um, of the process is hearing the case as individuals when you serve on a body of seven in this case? Um, mm. These are great questions. I love this interview. <laughs> you guys are, I have to say, I mean, you guys are awesome. Like, seriously, I mean, these are, these are such great questions. I mean, I think really what it goes to is that everyone who comes to the bench comes to it with a certain understanding, certain appreciation, certain experience in life. And I think the reason, as we kind of go back to what we were talking about before, I think the reason that struggle is so important and that hardship is so important is because you have an understanding and an appreciation of the world that other people might miss. And that is absolutely essential because if you were to have seven people who are all the same and who didn't have to face any challenge or difficulty in their life, I don't think they would be able to understand and appreciate the difficulties or the challenges that those who come before us have. And I really believe that that's why God gives people struggle and he gives certain people hardship is because it's with those experiences you have a greater understanding and a better appreciation of life. And as a result, you're able to use that to do something impactful for people. Well, Justice Bernstein... Uh, uh, i got, I got to stop you there, Pam. We'll, okay. We're going to have to take a break here. Richard, can you stick around for a few minutes? I can stay for the entire hour. I can stay all day. That's I've been looking forward to seeing you. No <laughs> I was fighting for this cell signal when I found it. I don't want to go anywhere. I am all yours for as long as you'll have me. I just want to be on the show. Well, my guest is Justice Richard Bernstein. And is a, uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to armchair politics later because one of my favorite public servants, albeit former, is uh, Mark Everson, who will be joining the roundtable. But uh, as, as I mentioned to my uh, significant other last night about the show today and how excited I was, I said, not only is Mark Everson going to be sitting in on armchair politics, but the first hour has the Bernstein advantage.
That's right. Ah, that's <laughs> right. Well, let's, see, let's see what you say. You know, know what? what let's see what you say. We'll be right back. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We uh, continue now with a uh, conversation I've been really looking forward to with Michigan Supreme Court Justice Richard Bernstein, who joins me by phone, courtesy of uh, um, an occasional co-producer of this show, Pam Gerald from Oakland County, my favorite uh, Oakland County activist. Um, Richard, Pam, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Thank you, Tom. I actually enjoyed it. And Tom, you know what you asked before the break about the Bernstein advantage. So let me tell you how (laughs) lucky I am this morning. Well, let me let me put that in context. Bernstein advantage, but I get the ninety-two point one of a kind, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Well done. Um, But but I made that reference um, because I really wanted to mention, and I didn't do it in the introduction earlier, um, that uh, that. Justice Bernstein is a member of the Sam Bernstein family and and headed up the public service division before he before he went into politics. Now, I, Richard, I have not met you uh, in person, but I did see you speak at a Get Out the Vote rally in Flint. And at the time, you said you were going to keep your remarks brief because one of the things that you learned on the campaign trail is how much people love to listen to politicians talk. Yeah, exactly, um. <laughs> which is usually not at all. <laughs> well, the, the 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 reason that I that I brought that up was really just to touch on for a minute the idea of electing uh, uh, Supreme Court justices as we do in Michigan. Um, you know, of course, uh, federal Supreme Court justices are nominated and then approved by the Senate. But it's it's very different when you have political parties putting up candidates. Um, what are your thoughts a- about that? Are, are you more comfortable with the I election versus appointment? Absolutely. I think elections are the absolute best way to do this, without question. Because I'll tell you why. As a person who is blind, I've always been different. You know, I'm the guy who doesn't fit in. You know, I, I don't, you know, it's just one of those things, right? It's just, that's why I love this work so much. It's because there's just some people who are just different. And I think often is the case that if I were to go in front of a merit selection committee, they would look at someone like myself and they would say, oh, wow, that is, you know, so inspirational that this blind guy wants to be a judge. And I'm so inspired by the fact that he's done 24 marathons and, I'm inspired by the fact that he's, you know, done an Ironman, and wow, that's so exhilarating and inspiring. And then what would happen is, as soon as you leave the room, they're going to sit and they're going to say, wow, as interesting as that is, he doesn't look like us, he doesn't sound like us, you know, he's probably, and there's code words that so many of us understand, he's probably, you know, as nice a guy as he is, he's probably not going to fit in. And I think that... If you have an election, it allows for you to take your argument directly to the people, and the people are able to decide whether or not you fit in. And I think what they found in the last race that I had was that this is what they want. They want someone who knows struggle. They want someone who knows hardship. 
They want someone who hasn't had it so easy because most people in our state haven't had it so easy. Most people in our state have to go through struggle. Most people in our state have kids that are getting bullied. You know, it's just that notion of, of, of understanding and connecting. And the more difficulty and adversity a public servant has, the better they're going to do in their position. And I think the people understand that, whereas committees don't. And I think Pam was gonna was gonna say something, and I was just I was all excited. So Pam, you <laughs> add on to that, Richard. Uh, let me just say this this one thing very quickly because I'll, I'll forget if I don't. And that is when you're talking about uh, not fitting in, I think you're fitting in fine here. <laughs> well, thank you. I just I just think like like the idea is there are some people who are different, and and in this situation, you know, it's like when when you're you don't just fit what what a carbon copy. You don't just fit what people kind of anticipate or expect, you know, in, in this situation. And I think there are just some people in life that the way God created them, and in my situation, it's because I have a severe disability, it's just the way it is. You have to just work harder, and you have to just be better. And w- whether it's fair or not, the expectations that people have for you are much higher than they have for someone who isn't disabled. It's kind of ironic, but in many situations, you have to work harder than someone who isn't disabled just to simply show that you can do it. And, Tom, you, you heard the justice say how many marathons he's participated in and triathlons. <clears throat> what a lot of people didn't know is two years prior to him getting elected to the Michigan Supreme Court, he was involved in an accident in New York City. A cyclist hit him. He broke his hip and he broke his pelvis. He was in the hospital for 10 weeks, recovered from that, and still got on the ballot to get elected by the people in the state of Michigan to a nonpartisan seat. Judge, how did you do that? And, and Richard, I'm sure it occurred to you that, uh, you know, being roughed up in an accident was nothing like a political campaign. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's interesting. I will have to. You know, it's funny. I got to tell you, now I can experience it from both sides. So, you know what? Now I can say, you know what? I got it from both ends. But I think what was interesting about that was it was a catastrophic accident. I mean, it was catastrophic. It was over 10 weeks of hospitalization at New York's Mount Sinai Hospital. I mean, this was a. I had to learn how to walk again. And what was interesting is, you know, you have to live with a certain level of pain because. Pain isn't something that you can get rid of. Some accidents are so catastrophic that the pain stays with you pretty much forever, and you simply have to learn to live with it. And so what I do is, you know, I try to keep myself in motion, and I walk a lot. And what I find is is that the more you walk, the less pain you have. It's just ironic, but if your body's in motion, it tends to hurt less. Um, But it was interesting because, again, I've really come to believe that that experience, right, and having to live with a pain that you have to know every single day, I think it makes you a better judge because, again, it allows you to have empathy, it allows for you to have understanding, and it allows for you to have a, a certain level of connection to people that gives you the, 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 I believe, compassion and mercy to understand how hard life is for some folks. And I think going back to your question, though, that's why elections matter. It requires people to get out of their offices, to basically go and, and visit with people, spend time with people, do things with people. Listen, 
I love being with people. I love being with Pam. If there's an event somewhere in the state of Michigan in person, I'll be there. Even if you're having a barbecue at your house and I find out about it, <laughs> I love people so much that I will literally come. But I Tom, that, that is important. true. That is totally <laughs> true. The judge will be there. <laughs> well, Richard, let me... You, know, you might take it as a threat or a promise, but I'll totally show up. But the thing <laughs> is, I think that's important because if you don't have elections, then what occurs is people don't have that connection with those that they're making decisions on behalf of. And I want to get back to a question I started to ask before the break, and it had to do with... Uh, with making decisions and I was talking about when you hear cases uh, at the Supreme Court level how much of it is is based on an individual's hearing of the case and how much of it is is conversation um, and and debate between the justices that's a great question I think a lot of it is based off of debate and discussion I think that the level and scope of the conversations that we have are outstanding. Um, it's pretty much like being back in law school. Like, it's like really, really highly intellectual, highly academic. I love it because everyone on the court is brilliant. And when you hear people make their arguments, you know, it's always grounded in law. So you're listening and they're making their arguments, you know, grounded in the Constitution, grounded in the statute, grounded in the interpretation of the facts. And what's amazing, though, is just how academic it is and how intellectual it is. And just, you know, in terms of the <clears throat> mental capacity that you have to have, like, for me, when I leave conference, I'm just exhausted because the level of thinking that's taking place at that in terms of the conversations and in terms of the arguments that are being made is remarkable. So when you go into conference every single week, you've got to be on your game because mm-hmm. you've got six people who are really on their games. And what I always say, though, is, you know, listen, the reason this matters is because people's entire lives depend on what comes out of these conference conversations. Richard, um, you mentioned earlier that um, because of your disability, it makes you different. It makes you look different. It, It makes you not fit in certain places. And for the last year and a half, people have been working remotely, mostly from home. You didn't even do that the same way that people do. <laughs> no, I, I got to say something. If you'll have me back, I will come on this show all the time because just like what your other guests were saying in the promos, these are some of the best questions I've ever been asked. I mean, I'm just going <laughs> to tell you, I go on programs all the time. This is quite possibly the best one just because the level and the thought of the questions These are some of the best questions that people have ever asked. And I'm so glad you asked that because what I think people don't realize about, you know, working from home and doing everything by Zoom is the simple fact that blind people like myself can't use Zoom. We're not able to do it. So whenever someone says, okay, well, you know, will you join us by Zoom? Well, that's not really possible because in order for me to join you by Zoom, I have to have someone sit next to me and set the entire thing up. Someone has to physically sit down, put you on Zoom, make sure you're looking at the camera, do all the login, because Zoom is not accessible for people like myself. So, you know, for me... Well, it's a, vi- it's a visual the- medium, Richard. Correct. And so, unless there is... And then what happens is you can get kicked off Zoom because of like something, a glitch or something. And so what people don't realize is, is that someone like myself, because of this pandemic hasn't been able to participate in so many different things 
because of the fact that, you know, Zoom is not designed for the blind. And I don't even, I, I just simply can't do it without having constant assistance to allow for me to do it. So I think what has made this really hard is I need everything in person. I mean, that's just, that's just what I need. I have to be in person. And I'm really, one of the things that I'm really fighting for is I believe that court should be in person and that Zoom should only be used as a, you know, as, as an exception if, if necessary. But that I think the default position should be that everything should be in person and Zoom can be used if necessary or if there's no alternative. And I think that's going to be a debate and discussion that we're going to have to have is, you know, do we want to have our courts on Zoom? Which, you know, think about it. You know, do you want to have your day in court and then come and do it on computer? Or do you want to have your day in court where you actually come to court and you make your argument in court and the judge and the jury are in court? I just simply believe that, you know, we have to be in person and that Zoom, even though it's convenient for some people and even though it works for many, there are some folks who are really being left out. And I just see this as a real struggle for the soul of our court system and for the soul of our way of life so that we can fight, so that we can be together in person, so we can do things, you know, as a society. And I just have to say that for a blind person, you know, people are like oxygen. It's literally how I live. If I don't have people in my life, if I'm not surrounded by people, if I'm not with people, I can't breathe. And so this, this constant reliance on Zoom for everything, and my concern is that this is going to continue well after the pandemic, is going to make it very hard for people like myself who crave and love people to continue to function the way that we love and know to function. And i got to be honest with you, how many people go to law school dreaming of being able to make their argument on Zoom? How many people say, <laughs> I want to be a lawyer so that Great I question. can sit in front of the computer? So no, the, the idea is that I, I really see this as a battle and I just believe that I'm one of those folks, you might call me a relic, you might call me a dinosaur, but I adamantly believe that we need to go back to the days of in-person and that we can't just simply move all onto Zoom because we'll lose who we are, we'll lose our identities, and we'll lose each other. Well, Richard, yeah, you said that Tom asked and I asked some really good questions, and the only reason why we're asking good questions is because, like you heard in the promo, Tom Sumner is 92.1 of a kind. That's why the <laughs> questions are really good. You know, Tom, the judge and the UAE, they started and coined this term, people of determination. You often hear people say people that are disabled or people with disabilities. I don't like that term either. I like physically challenged people, mentally challenged people, but their new phrase is people of determination. Now, a lot of people don't know, Judge, all the things that you have done in fighting for people of determination or people that are physically challenged. You went to the University of Michigan. Remember you sued the University of Michigan because of their stadium and how oh, it yeah. didn't accommodate people of determination? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. I'm so glad that Pam brought that up because it goes back to what we were talking about prior, which was that paralyzed veterans weren't able to go to the stadium. Correct. And they weren't able to be a part of the community. And this was after their service to the country. 
And that's why the idea of community is so significant and why it is so important. And I love that Pam you know, got into what we were doing in the UAE and in the Middle East. You know, Tom, I, I was very excited. I was asked to be a part of the Abraham Accord. Well, that's and what I was trying ate, to bring yeah. up, Richard, when I when I yeah. mentioned that you did uh, remote work differently while mm -hmm. other yes. people oh, were yes. working from home. <laughs> Richard was working from the Middle East. That's right. Yeah, yes. first in During Dubai the and then and then in Israel. And and I wanted yeah. to give you a chance to talk a little bit about that experience about working from there because you were really you had you managed to have your foot in two places at the same time you were yeah. still you were so, still working on you know supreme court work and and your regular job but you were also involved in these other projects in the middle east and i wanted to give you a chance to talk about that i'm Pam so did. glad that you did that so basically i was asked to be a part of the abraham accords now, the Abraham Accords is a peace agreement that Israel has entered into with her Arab neighbors. And the reason that I was asked is because so many kings and people of influence within the Arab world have children with special needs and have children who are struggling. And the call went out. I had been doing, I do this work very quietly. Like, <clears throat> I'm a believer in service and the idea of service and what it means and what it represents. And often when you're doing service, you're not getting credit for it because in many situations with global work, you have to do it quietly. That's just literally how you do it. You have to do it quietly. And there's only going to be a very small circle of people that are ever going to really know about the work that you're doing and what you're really involved with. Just a very small group of people, but you're doing it because you realize that you're part of something bigger and you realize the significance of what it is that you're doing. And I've been doing this work um, with the United Nations for quite some time. And I've been working in different countries where in many situations, if you have a disability, you really have no chance at life. You know, mm -hmm. I've been everywhere from China to South America yes. to Europe to, of course, the Middle East to some really very intense places where folks with special needs really in many situations don't have a really bright future if they're even able to survive at all. That's how intense this stuff gets. And I've always done it kind of quietly just because I've just believed in it. But this was a very unique situation because there were a number of folks within the Arab world who had reached out and said, we would really like to spend some time and meet with the blind Supreme Court justice who works with the United Nations. And we would very much like to, to spend some time, and, and if he could work with us, it would be greatly appreciated. So then Israel, and of course the United States, said, this would be of great service. If you were willing to do this, this would make a huge contribution, and this would be something that would be of great significance if you're willing to do this, yes. you could help a lot of people. And that's why I would, would do that. And just really quick, kind of what the program was, was I would meet with the kings. And when I'd spend time with kings of these different countries, they would look at me and they would say, Richard, my child has special needs. I never realized what their potential was. I never realized yes. what they could achieve. And I never realized their significance until now. 
how can I make things better? What can I do? And then what would happen is, is that we would develop relationships with Israeli NGOs who have expertise in this area. And now as a result, you're going to see schools getting built. You're going to see job placement services being developed. You're going to see accessible technology being used and harnessed. You're going to see transit systems and transit options for people being you know, utilized in ways they haven't been used. And you're even going to have athletic opportunities. We're going to be developing athletic programs all to the Middle East that are going to really, I think, enhance and change people's lives in a very significant way. And I'll just tell you, this was so intense that when I was in Israel, because you have to be kind of all over the place, but when I was in Israel, there was a war that developed between Israel and Hamas. And the U.S. Embassy was evacuated, and, you know, the, the, the word went out that, you know, people should evacuate. And like I say, the U.S. Embassy evacuated all of its personnel. But everyone said to me, look, this is one of those times in life that this really matters. And even though we're evacuating everybody else, it's absolutely critical that you stay. It's absolutely critical because mm -hmm. you have become the face of this. And if you leave as the face of this, it will be devastating. So we need you to stay. We need you to ride through this. We need you to be on TV. We need you to be on radio. We need you to be giving hope and optimism to people. And we need to be showing that peace will sustain itself and that peace will survive. And that if it does, look at what will happen and look what will be created. And I'll just tell you kind of one last element of this. The day after the war ended, it was a kind of a 12-day war, and it was intense. I spent those 12 days in bomb shelter. Um, you know, you could hear the missiles. You could hear the explosions. The shelter would shake violently and intensively like you couldn't believe. And the day after, I went on television, and this was broadcasted all through the Middle East. And it was myself. It was the Israeli pinpoint uh, person on uh, agreements, on the peace agreements, and then it was a very, very influential shake. I mean, very influential. And he went on TV, and this was a critical time because nobody knew after this 12-day war what the implications were going to be for the region. Right. And the shake went on television, and he said, we must move forward. We cannot let the war be a distraction. There are too many people too many children who are living in the shadows that we need to bring into the light, and we have to move forward to make life better for those who are struggling and those who have lived in darkness, and we cannot let the war distract us from these duties. And the reason that was so significant is that went through the entire Middle East and indicated that the war was not going to disrupt the peace process, and it was going to move forward the fact that these countries were going to keep developing new opportunities with each other. But what I was told was the reason that the Sheikh was so passionate about this was because he knows disability in his own family, and he understood the significance of it. And he wasn't going to let the politics and he wasn't going to let the war stop from making a better life for people that really needed it. And Richard, I have a, another break coming up, so I'll ask you again if you can stick around for a few minutes, and we'll... Uh... As long as you want, and I love these commercials. I really like that one about Pure Michigan, about Flint and Genesee County. That's that Tim Allen. Great, it's very, 
I love that. I want to tell you something. It's very, like, uplifting. Like, I could listen to that all day. <laughs> well, my guest is... And I love uh, all the guests who've been on your show. The guests, when you have the guests, talk, you know, the people that, you know, the different guests talking, it's pretty awesome. 92.1 of a kind. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be back with I more right Joe after this. And you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with... Um, Michigan Supreme Court Justice Richard Bernstein, and uh, is it Richard? Is it Bernstein or Bernstein? Uh, Bernstein, okay. but you can I go with whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, co-producer uh, Pam Gerald is with me by phone. And just before the break, Richard, we were talking about your uh, recent trip to the the Middle East and and your work on behalf of people with special needs. And I just wondered if, while in the Middle East, if the fact that you're Jewish helped or hindered your work? Oh, that is a great question. So this was fascinating. So this was the first time that a Jewish person had been featured so prominently by Arab media. This had never Mm -hmm. really happened before. Like in all the different kingdoms, like Saudi and Kuwait and Kumar, Bahrain, all these different places, they had never really had this type of positive exposure to somebody that who was Jewish. So the significance really cannot be overstated. And the reason that people should be optimistic about what's happening in the Middle East is because nothing happens without the kings or without you know certain folks kind of deciding this is the direction they want to go. So when the kingdoms decide that we want to start building peace agreements, we want to start having cooperation, we want to start really creating a different region and a different world. They do that kind of through the press. And what was happening was I was doing three, four interviews a day, and these were very kind of like um, very, very like high-profile pieces that were running in countries all across the region. And the reason that that's important is because I think what was occurring was, and because of the disability component, this was so meaningful to certain people whose children are struggling and who are facing hardships and who are dealing with disability. This was so meaningful to those people that they wanted to showcase possibilities to make life better for their families and for the folks that are struggling within those countries. And I think the fact that I was Jewish basically added to this in a really profound way because now when the narrative has always been kind of somewhat negative in one direction, you can't just immediately turn a switch and then have peace. It doesn't just work that way. You can't just immediately, like, all of a sudden change the narrative and change the story. You've got to introduce it. And I think what this was was a letter of introduction, a way of beginning a dialogue, a way of starting to see things differently, a way of allowing for folks who hadn't been exposed to a person who was clearly Jewish to be exposed to, to, to me. And really what it did was it allowed for folks to say, wow, you know what? You know, th- he seems like a really nice person. He seems like a really kind spirit. He seems like someone I really want to get to know. And it just kind of starts these conversations. It starts these relationships. And I have to say, you know, Tom and Pam, 
the beauty of this is that peace can never be stopped hmm. because once people like each other and once people connect with each other and once people have affection for each other and once you like someone and they like you and once that friendship has been developed, you can never stop it because once Amen. you like someone and you care about someone, there's no way that you're going to stop being friends with them. And so literally the power of peace will overcome anything. And I'm just telling you, as a person who went through a war, as a person that has experienced all of this, you know, very firsthand, this is not like me being naive or overly optimistic. This is grounded in reality. Sometimes when people who live with disabilities or who know struggle, I like to say that dreams get replaced by wisdom. Mm. But I think in this situation, you can honestly say that friendships are developing, relationships are developing, and people want to be together. And literally, once people like each other, once people care about each other, you can't stop it. So your experience gave you reason to be optimistic despite what's going on in Afghanistan right now? Incredibly optimistic. Now, again, that's a completely separate situation. I know we um, like we like to I, yeah. think in this country that that region is of all one mind and politic, and I know it's very different where you were was Completely, very yeah. far removed <laughs> yeah. from that, but I just um, thought I might. No, but the issue is, like, what I would say is, is that, yes, I mean, I think that Afghanistan, I mean, I, I think that Afghanistan is, a, is different from the GCC. I think the Gulf countries, I think in the relationships with the Gulf countries, you know, the relation, we're talking about, like, the UAE, you're talking about Saudi, you're talking about Kuwait, Kumar, Bahrain, you're talking about these types of countries. I think your Gulf countries are really starting to move towards peace. And I think you're starting to see the peace develop in all different types of ways. That doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. That doesn't mean that we don't still have a long way to go. And look, you're always going to have fractions and you're going to have all these different issues that are going to develop. It's just how it is. But I would see kind of in terms of the greater mindset, I would say in terms of the greater circumstance, you're moving towards peace and that peace is developing. And I would give it probably between three to five years, but I think you're going to see peace with, with all the GCC countries, places like Indonesia, even Morocco. I mean, Morocco just is starting to, you know, they're having peace agreements with Israel. So I think peace is on the move. I think there will always be some struggles and difficulties. There are always going to be setbacks. And there's always going to be circumstances and situations that will try to divide people. But all I can say is when people come together and they like each other and they care about each other, it cannot be stopped. But I think your point is a good one about Afghanistan. Um, and, and I think your point is also a really good one. That's why this is an outstanding show about the monolithic way that we tend to approach, you know, this entire region. And I think it's just very different and it has different areas and different circumstances and situations. And I think that, you know, Afghanistan is, is unfortunately, you know, remain problematic. But I think in terms of the overall region, I think we should be very optimistic about where we're going. Well, Richard, Tom, did you know that my friend, your Supreme Court Justice, Richard Bernstein, has fought and took on some big giants like when he went to Northwestern Law School, he refused to take the LSAT test because he thought the, the line of questioning was not fair based on, like, the graphs. <laughs> so he got admitted to the law school based on other challenges, 
but he sued one of the biggest organizations, and that was the American Bar Association. <laughs> Justice, tell us why you sued the American Bar Association, the Detroit uh, public bus system, Delta Airlines, and the airport. Oh, I love that question. I, I have to say, I am so enjoying myself. I feel, because things have been, you know, I think for so many of us, things have been so tough and so difficult and so challenging that when you get to be optimistic like we are right now mm -hmm. and you get to be idealistic, doesn't it just feel good? Doesn't it feel good to feel good about things and to feel excited about things? I mean, doesn't it feel good to feel optimistic? Doesn't it feel good to feel idealistic? Like, sometimes it's just wonderful to have the opportunity to just simply feel good and optimistic about the world. And yeah. I think with this program, you're giving us a chance to actually feel good about things. And I think that what's interesting is, is, is that when we look at standardized tests, and so often we get into this discussion about university admissions and all this kind of stuff, but we've never really had a conversation about the fact that the tests that we use are completely and totally discriminatory. And that when we sit there and we talk about who's qualified you know, to go to some of the best universities versus who is not, we're using testing that is really no indicator whatsoever yes. of a person's ability to succeed. Yes. But yet Richard. we accept test scores as the gospel. Richard, we're getting right down to the wire here, and oh, I want to squeeze okay. in one more bench-related question sure. because sure, as please. most of us, and I'm talking about the general public, but the media as well, look at yes. the federal Supreme Court and the state Supreme Court as yes. political bodies mm -hmm. with, with mm -hmm. partisan sides, 5-4 rulings, 4-3 mm -hmm. four, mm -hmm. four, rulings, mm -hmm. etc. Yet every judge I've ever talked to from the Supreme Court or other courts claims to be a rule of law judge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As an insider, which is it? <laughs> so first off, I gotta tell you, another outstanding question. Really, absolutely outstanding. 92.1 um, of a kind. It really is. I mean, this is, this is really good stuff. Um, I, would, I would tell you is, is that judges take their jobs very seriously. And when they put on the robe, they take it serious. And I would also say that if you were to look at kind of the, ter the current governmental structures, the one structure that has stood firm, that people respect, that people admire, and that people you know, will gravitate to is the judiciary. Because for the most part, the judiciary has stood strong. And I, and I think literally if you were to pull it and you were to look at how people think about the other branches compared to the judiciary, there isn't even a contest. The judiciary has been able to maintain a steadfast ability to truly follow the law. And, and I, I, I think what's important, Tom and Pam, to kind of emphasize on this is that you know, people have certain philosophies, right? You can, I, you know, I tend to be more of a progressive thinker, right? Whereas someone who's conservative might be more of a strict constructionalist. So there are certain judicial philosophies that people have in terms of how you interpret the Constitution. And, and that is, is completely appropriate in terms of how you see the, the document. How you, do you see it as something that expands? Do you Richard, see it as a dynamic document? 
I, I hate I mean, to, I hate you to cut you off. How you, you, of course. I hate to cut you off, Richard, because I'm enjoying this. Um, uh, I am too. <laughs> uh, my guest is uh, Michigan Supreme Court uh, Justice uh, Richard Bernstein. And Richard, we could have done a whole show on any one of the things that we talked about. And I hope you'll come back. Can we come back? Can Absolutely. We come back? But I just, I just want to say really quickly. Oh. And, and thanks, Pam. Armchair okay. politics. Have a, it's the Tom Sumner program. Day. Don't you know? Go on. Go on. Get out of here. <laughs>